Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. Today, I am here with Jules Dan. We are going to be diving into all things nomad, business, entrepreneurship, and dive into the weeds of some specific softwares and tools, which I'm very excited to learn more about. But before we dive in, Jules, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are, your story, where you started, and how you got to living this nomad life that you are living today? I mean, some of the backstory is, I think the day that really changed my life was when I was at a dinner table and a family member came from overseas and they made a really snarky comment. I was just celebrating uh, a massive client win. It was a Facebook ad funnel doing about a million a month. And he made this snarky, he made two snarky comments. First, he's like, is that even real? And then the second comment was, well, why aren't you that rich? And this was probably a year ago in 2022. And I made me really reflect and think, okay, I'm actually, yeah, why aren't I that rich? Like I'm making my clients all this money. I was going project to project as a copywriter. I really wanted to do this nomad thing. been trying to do it for five years. And then that's when I sort of look back on my client results and the people who just knocked it out of the park was easy and versus the people who, you know, couldn't convert that well. It all had to do with their list, the relationship with their list. It was like shooting fish in a barrel, basically. So people with 1,500, 2,000 people on their list, they were getting great response. People with maybe 10 to 40,000 people with not a good relationship did not do as well. So I thought, okay, I got to get better at understanding how do you maintain the relationship with the list. So then I rebranded myself from just being a copywriter to being a list master and a list profit extractor and started change charging on retainer, looking after people's lists, you know, helping with open rates, double open rates, more people get to see it. Just all these little ninja things added up. So I was much more valuable rather than just, and I started gaining some momentum, but then ChatGPT came out and I went to full panic mode thinking, oh fuck, like, I'm sorry, I'm swearing. I think we're going to get replaced. I got to quickly find a way so that I can speed things up. And then I remember this one time I was with this client project. I was writing Facebook ads for their clients. And then that turned into a regular thing. But Nicole, the ads I kept getting back were so bad. I was just frustrated. They had to create a system for these people so that they would then speed things up, which we can get into in a second. But long story short, back to this part here. How did I become a nomad, basically stop becoming a copywriter and just rebrand myself to be like fixing a major pain point for businesses, stop going project to project and actually do retainer work where, you know, have form a long-term relationship with the business. That meant I could have more regular pay. And I found a company through another podcast that I was on. It was called Remote Year. And that's what I'm on right now. It's a group of remote workers who travel from one month to next in a new city. So we started in Hanoi, then we've gone to Chiang Mai, Bali, and now we're in Osaka, Japan. And that's my little nomad backstory. 
I have some questions about your journey, diving deeper into your nomad mm-hmm. journey. And I want to chat about trash PT and how you've scaled your business. But you said you were trying to really live this nomad lifestyle for quite a few years. So, but it mm-hmm. wasn't really working or maybe what you were doing wasn't aligned with you. So what did that look like? And then what really changed? Was it just your business and how you were operating your business that changed? Was it some yeah. additional external factors? I really want to hold in on this because this is such a pain point for nomads. And I think everybody wants to live the nomad life. Not everybody, but a lot of people want to live the nomad life. But yeah. it can be difficult because you do have to have that consistent income. So I realized the reason why I kept going feast famine, feast famine, massive launch, make lots of money, quiet, even though I was lead generating, was because of two reasons. One, I didn't have a list of my own. So like a list of customers from like an opt-in page or like from content, even though I had a podcast myself, I realized one, that was the wrong media to build a list. I probably should have done something like YouTube earlier. Second reason is I wasn't finding the right client. I think this is the biggest hurdle because it was just like a confidence thing or something. I kept going back to the person who probably needed a launch, but that's about it. Whereas for me to get a retainer client where they pay you every single month, they need to be doing probably a million and a half, maybe just under a million where they can reliably pay you. There's a need for you to be on the team every single month and you make yourself indispensable for them. So list management where, you know, you're making sure emails land in the primary inbox, which not many people know how to do. You know how to fix up all these automations that pick up extra money or you know how to clone the business owner's voice so that they don't feel like they have to write emails all the time. Like you can nail it. Like all these little skills that combine into something that just solves a massive headache, but they need every single month. I realize, okay, this is what I need to do. And I need extra level of client, like that next level of client. So that's what I did. That's what I did. That was a, there's a key thing. And then it's like, how do you get those clients? And then there's a whole nother conversation. But I think the key thing, Nicole, was figuring out who was that right client. And then how do you create an offer where they need you every month? So you're not having to go chase work all the time. I completely agree. Honestly, like one-on-one work just never made sense to me. I work with some clients as well in my business and I do a few different things, but like the clients that I work with, it has to be a retainer model. Otherwise that's not working for me. Retainer, you know, whether it's monthly or whatever that may look like. So I like that you also realized that that was a sustainable way to live this nomad life for you. Since you were just talking a little bit about email lists, before we go into the travel side, let's chat about email lists. So you mentioned there's this is a very vast array of things that you can do in order to really optimize. But what does it look like for you? You mentioned getting the emails landing in somebody's inbox, not maybe their promotion or their spam or another folder. So what are some of the tips that you can give for somebody who is looking to start an email list? But also, what is the importance of having an email list? Like, why can't I just have an Instagram or why can't I just have a YouTube? Why does it need to be an email list? The short answer is if you're building, you're basically building your business on privately owned land that you don't own, basically. You're renting it. And by working on social media, you're paying the landlord every month with, you know, your data, your subscribers, whatever else. And at any time, you can have people take that away. I have a client who was on YouTube 
and he had cancellation warning in the same week we had a warning from Kajabi as well being like everything was just going like to crap hit the fan basically but he had the list and he was able to communicate with his YouTube subscribers what was going on and you know that was that's what really saved the day on a smaller scale you might be thinking well kind of just you know market my own content on Instagram but it's like the long-term vision right you're building an asset for the future we don't know what's going to happen with social media if it's going to get shut down your account's going to get shut down, algorithm changes. Email, while there are some rules, for the most part, it's like pretty set in stone and they're really easy to follow. And ultimately, it's yours. There's only three things you can own. Your podcast, that's yours. Your website, that is yours. And your email list, that is also yours. Everything else is basically not yours. So by building this list, you're able to communicate with your customers, re-engage them, building a relationship, and ultimately make more money in the future for your business without relying on algorithm changes in social media, taking that away from you. So, so important. I remember when, it must have been like a year ago now. I don't even know. You'll you'll know when this was. Well, not when it was. But we all remember when Instagram went down for the day. I was like in China, so yes. I was sleeping. So it didn't affect me, but it affected everybody in North America. And it was this huge thing. And everyone was like, you email us. And everyone really took advantage of that. So that always reminds mm-hmm. me of that as a good example. What are some actionable tips that you can do to start your email list? And then also to build that connection with people. What does fostering that connection really look like? Building a list is way more important than like, how do you do the, the tactics? Because if you don't actually have people to talk to, then, you know, at least if you can write something, then it's better than nothing. So when I was, so I think I told you this before. I was critiquing a lot of Facebook ads for a client and we were doing Facebook lead ads. I'll explain how this all ties into email in just a second. But a Facebook lead ad is super easy because Facebook basically puts up a form that says name, email, address, phone number, and it's already pre-filled because it's because it's Facebook. And the type of ad we were running was some body copy, which is just like text and an image, going to a lead magnet, the person would call them up. And then would go into there to then follow up with them and build a relationship. I think the problem that I kept seeing was that Aaron was just talking about what they did as a service rather than thinking backwards, being like, okay, what is the one massive headache frustration that's going on in their day? And then how can I create something that solves that in a way that gives them a quick win? Let me give you an example. There was, okay, someone, someone was doing, they were helping beverage, new beverage brands start basically. But instead of being like, book a call, I don't know, like come onto my website or something. The number one frustration that these beverage brands had was like, how do I just get started? So he had all these different ideas. I'm like, here's why we just do a beginner checklist of three things you need to do to at least get the ball rolling and have your first beverage line like presented to a designer or I forget what it was, but something like that, like a beginner's checklist because their biggest problem was, I don't know how to get started for your client. Their biggest frustration might be different. Like, let's ask you, I'll use you, Nicole, for example, like what is your biggest daily frustration in your business? Not having enough time to create everything that I want to create. Not having enough time to create. And why is that? Because I have so many things going on, which I love and I'm very passionate about all of them. So I Mm -hmm. do have an assistant who helps me with that. But, you know, as a nomad, I'm also living my life and I'm not on my computer 24-7. So it's really helping find 
that balance, I would say. And then there are a few tasks that I just don't like doing. And actually, the email list is one of them. I just scheduled my monthly email for tomorrow and I was writing it and I was like, it doesn't take me a long time, but I'm just not, this is not my zone of genius. Okay. So, so is specifically, is it like email content or is it YouTube content or I know you've got a blog as well. Is it kind of a bit of everything? It would probably be email, I would say. And I think that's probably a very fitting topic here. Right. Exactly. So Nicole's frustration or, you know, lack of time or whatever, it might just sound like you need props or ideas or stories to just be like, maybe even some fill in the blanks to just get her going. So it could be like, you know, three months of content to illuminate any overwhelm when it comes to sending emails to your list. So that could be something that we work from from there. And the thing is, I could be wrong. And that's why we need to test with content because you don't don't actually know if that's actually going to be something that hits. That's the thing, like always working back from what's the biggest frustration and then can we solve that into a quick win that increases speed, like templates, checklists, fill in the blanks, and then go from there. That's how you would start trying to build the list. I like that. And so are there any other tips that you have in order to really foster that connection with your audience? So one thing I really like doing with clients is embodying their voice and their personality and everything about them and being okay that you're going to lose people. You're going to, you want to attract people, but you also want to repel people at the same time. So one of my past clients, he was really obsessed with electric cars. He always didn't like that the Australian government was not on top of green energy. He was a bit quirky as well. Like he spent so much money on like a content studio. He wanted to be like Dave Ramsey and like all these little points of fascination. Some of his flaws were he has ADHD-like behavior if he's not diagnosed with it. But just all these little things that the right people can resonate and we just drop in the content in a specific way so that the right person can feel like, oh, this person's like me. And that's it in a nutshell. Like, how can you encapsulate who you want to attract, who you, can, who you want to repel? And uh, if you want to use ChatGPT to speed things up, like I've been giving it ChatGPT, Troy's writing that I've done, put it in here. I'm like, analyze this in a certain way. And that's what I actually show in my freebie, which solves that problem. Like, how do I clone myself so I can speed things up? I show a few cool prompts of how you can actually do this. So let's try it. Chat, chat, GPT. Kind of sure. How do you utilize this? I mean, you literally just mentioned, but I'm curious. I'm sure you utilize this tool more in your business. I know that myself and I have some clients as well that utilize it in so many innovative ways and it can speed up the processes and especially like any style of drafting or basic writing in your business. But what does that look for you? So just, a, just as a disclaimer, I still kind of write myself because if it's a daily email broadcast, and you want to sort of intertwine what's going on in your day. Sometimes it's just faster for me to write what happened in my day and then segue into my premise. Might be a video, might be a pitch. If it's a specific autoresponder or like I'm just getting out lots of content for a client, there's three main principles I go by so that you can speed things up. The first one is cloning your voice. The second one is steering AI back on course. And the third one's fine tuning prompts. So you're probably wondering, like, okay, how do you clone the voice? I've got a prompt here for your audience. So the prompt is analyze the following text for style and tone of voice. Apply the exact style and tone of voice to all your future responses. 
This person's name is Troy. I want you to remember Troy like a file you can pull out of a filing cabinet. I've got in quotation marks and then I put in the copy. And then it's going to start to analyze the voice from there. I think I put in about 30 different emails. But what you'll notice is that I said, I want you to remember you can, like a file, you can pull out of a filing cabinet. And the reason why I've done this is because not every email is equal, right, Nicole? It's like sometimes you've got a promotional email. Sometimes you've got a podcast email. You can't just say, write me an email. So what I like to do with the clients, I have these specific things. So like a podcast, like a content, promotional, what else? Like values. And I'll be like, here's an email. Here's an email. This is a promotional email. Can you remember this? Yes. And then it starts to remember that. And you put the next email in like, this is a content email. Can you remember this? Yes. So in that way, when you ask it, write me a promotional email that does blank, you're going to go, the next thing that's going to happen is that it's going to spit out shit. And what happens is that this is where I said principle two, we're going to bring AI back on course. Say what happened to writing like blank? And this is why at the start, I said, this person's name is Troy. And if you can give it, if you can give it a name, your own name, Nicole, Jules, whatever, it's going to come back to understanding who that person is, which I found is pretty damn powerful. So the concept part is really helpful. For example, when those clients, I was reviewing their ads, their headlines were absolutely shocking. And I almost, I was just like, how do you, how do you polish a turd? Like you can't, you have to start from scratch. So knowing concepts really, I don't I mean to shit on them because what they went from like, not so good, second iteration, third iteration, they're generating like 10, $12 leads and they're turning them into multi-thousand opportunities. Like you just need to work the process. And what I found was, especially for say like headlines, just to get your ideas going. And this is where you just have general knowledge come in. I wrote, imagine you're a writer for the National Enquirer tabloid. National Enquirer used to be a magazine in direct mail that sold millions of copies. And it was very sensationalist. The head, the, the, the writers who were paid to write the headlines were paid millions because that was their job. They were basically masters at getting people to open the front page of the magazine. For this, it's the click. So imagine you're a writer from the National Enquirer tabloid. You're going to write me several curiosity packs. You can say subject lines, headlines. Each subject line or headline should be oozing with excitement and controversy. And then give me 10 of those. And then from there, you can find one. And then from there, you can start to mash up, massage it from there. And Inside the chat GPT cash campaign, that's the that's my little lead mate to help speed line. It goes from ad to email to what to say in the book call using this sort of these three principles. I love the level of detail in the prompts. I know chat GPT, I've used it for quite a few things now and it's so mm-hmm. powerful, but you really do need to know how to utilize it. And I think a lot of people are still learning because it is such a new tool. And so these prompts are so cool. So it's very interesting. Thank you for sharing about that, about the email newsletters, all very important and kind of finger on the pulse things that are happening in the online marketing digital world these days. So let's chat about your travel and what that has looked like. And as you mentioned, you are in remote year, what that Mm -hmm. program looks like. I know there are quite a few other programs that are similar. So I'm curious why you chose remote year over a few of the other ones. But yeah, share kind of everything that you have gone through to get to where you are today in the program. It's been a journey. 
to get through my year. I gave myself a year doing retainer work with clients in my home city, in my bedroom, first making enough money, but also just being like, can I actually do this? I didn't want to just get a retainer client and leave. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, build that foundation. And then when I, when I told them I'm going overseas, they were okay with it because I built such a strong relationship with them. I looked at other options, Nicole, Wi-Fi tribe, a few other ones. No one actually did a year though. Everyone else was a few months and I just wanted to get out of my home city. I, I've been there for so long. So remote, you was the only one that did full 12 months. It's not cheap. I will give you that. It is not cheap, especially if you're just getting started. But I was really looking for a community of people all looking to do the same thing that I was doing. What else? And I just wanted to just, that's the main reason, like see the world and travel. So that's exactly what we're doing. We see the world and travel. I can talk about the side that they won't talk about in their marketing. Like I can share some like, there's some con pros and cons if that helps with your audience, because I don't want to be here being like, it's amazing when there are some flaws with the program as well. So pros, there's a community you're traveling with. So there's always going to be someone there and traveling, like connecting to the next city is super easy and it's fun because you're with other people. Going to new places and exploring, it's so much better when you're with someone else to experience it. And everyone else, if, it, if you're working or you want to go explore, there's always someone who wants to go do that thing, whether it's a food, a cultural, a hike, there'll be, or party, like people always down to party. The cons, the flip side is that in my experience, what I found is that most people who are on this list I found in my group is that work isn't a priority. So if you're looking to really build something, or if you're looking to, if you've got a very serious job, you're going to get distracted because people here, while they have to work, it's not a priority for them. So they'll do maybe the bare minimum or find ways to not do as much as they should, and then go off and, and travel as much. And I found that to be a bit of a struggle because I'm trying to build my list. I'm trying to build my business. I'm trying to do client work. I'm trying to do remote. I'm trying to go explore you know, maintain relationships on social media with people around the world. It is a lot. So just be prepared if you're not a good juggler, that it might be a struggle in that regard. Ooh, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, yeah, like how else would I ever know this or anyone listening know this unless you go on it or speak to someone like you who was literally in the middle of it. So it's interesting because I was just having this conversation on one of my other podcasts today with my co-host and we were talking about how community and a sense of home is so different when you are a nomad. And so I'm curious your take on like, where is home? Are you planning to go back at some point to your home country? Is there, is that not really in the plans right now? Is home yeah. wherever you have your community? Like, what does that look like for you as a nomad? I think what I've discovered is that personally, I would prefer a base that is central to other places or easily accessible to other places. So I'm either think so I'm going to be checking out South America soon, and so maybe a base near South America, or I'm also going to Europe after that. And like, where's a good place to maybe set up a base in Europe? I'm in Australia, which means that I'm away from everything, and our rail system basically doesn't exist. So the long way around to get back to this is I think after, after this experience, I definitely want to go back home and see everyone, but I'm, there's all these different like nomad visas popping up in Europe that I'm seeing. And I think it would be interesting just to experiment what would it be like if I was to be here for a year and use this as a base 
rent like a long-term rental property for a year or so, and then go off on weekends, maybe on a Friday as well to go explore. I think that's my ideal version because being so transient and always moving all the time, especially if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, it really stuffs up your momentum because you're, you're having all these ideas and you have, you're forced to stop working because you're always moving. And that's just a distraction in my opinion. So if you want, if you're serious about it, maybe find a base that's easily accessible to other places that you can explore on like a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. What have you found to be helpful? Like, what's your preference, Nicole? Like, do you like finding a base and then moving? Yeah. So I totally feel you on like, it can be such an asshole when you're like, oh my gosh, I have to move again. And it's like, I have so much shit to do. I have gotten real good at my time management. I think I was also always like, I'm a very type A structured person. So I think people like me, very great for this entrepreneurial aspect of nomad life whereas my partner is like the complete opposite so sometimes things can get a bit chaotic for him so my time management is very on point i will say but yeah I, we kind of had to figure out it sounds like the same as you we had to figure out what we actually wanted our travels and our nomad life to look like so we were in the balkans last summer and every week like every seven days we were changing not necessarily always countries but at least a new airbnb which is like you know yeah. a day event or maybe a whole day event yep. of itself uh which like you know you think before you're a nomad you think just changing airbnbs is going to take an hour or two like it's not especially if your data is gone or like you don't have easy accessible wi-fi then there's also the planning that goes into moving each time as well and then what are you going to do once you move that area yeah. And so that is, again, another thing that we've kind of had to navigate. So what we've discovered for us, because we both kind of have somewhat short attention spans, we like to be in a place for like a one Airbnb for two to three weeks. And then we if we like the city, we'll stay for maybe another two to three weeks. Or if we aren't really feeling the city, which happens sometimes, we'll go to a different city or maybe a different country, usually just kind of whatever is in the area, unless we really want to jump over the pond. Um, but that's kind of what works for us. So I would say like we travel pretty fast compared to a lot of the other nomads that I talk to. But again, it really just comes down to everyone's lifestyle. And for me, the the whole point of being a nomad is like you can do what you want on your own time. And so as long as I can have the time management skills to manage what I need to do with my clients, to manage the expectations of what they are having from me, to work on my own content, like to do everything, then it works. And that's the lifestyle that we want for ourselves in our nomad journey. But again, it, it took, you know, we've been doing this for like two and a half years. So it took some time in figuring out what works and what doesn't for us. Yeah. Okay. It's really interesting to hear your perspective as well. You're saying two to three weeks to scope out a city. Cause I was just playing that scenario in my head being like, but what if I want to live in this place and I need to apply for the visa? And then like, so you have to like, it's a good idea to test before you like buy before just try before you buy. That's the thing, like to try before you buy. It's like as of now, like we we're not buying anything. You know, the digital nomad visa is kind of a nightmare in my opinion. Like I, I see it more as a visa. It's not really a digital nomad visa because they're usually for one or two years. And for us, we want to change countries every like maximum probably three months. We'll be in one country, maybe like one to two months, depending on the country, is a little bit more ideal for us, but. I never really, in my opinion, I never want to do everything there is to do in one country because I always want to be like, oh, I can go back and do this and this and this. I always want to 
be able to come back and know that there's more to do. I don't want to have like one mm-hmm. country completely conquered. It's Completed. like, hey, don't need to go back back there because I'll just do it all again. So that's that's the way I look at it. But yeah, as of right now, you know, we have no plan in future years to kind of be like, this is the country. Like he knows he's not going back to his home country. I know I'm not going back to my home country. We know we probably will live in China again because we've lived there for so long. And so we could just kind of live anywhere. We have usually have 90 days in the country on our visas, and that is more than enough time. Yeah, I have 22 kilos of in a 75 liter backpack, and the rest is my tech, and that's it. There's not yeah. a lot. Love it. It's it's quite it's kind of good. I sold all my books before I left. I have a Kindle. That's how you continue to read. I sign up for gyms when I get to the new city because I I can't I can't live without gym. Like it's just my peace of mind. That's going to be a little expensive depending depending where you go. I know. It's like you said, you go to a new place and you're like, you just have a taste and you think, I wish what it would be like to come back and try this new place. Definitely have that in Chiang Mai. Oh my gosh, Thailand. I love Thailand. Thailand is one of those places that like, I could stay mm. for like two or three months in Thailand. A little bit longer because yeah, mm. Thailand has my heart. So now, thank you so much, Jules, for being on the show. It's been a very interesting conversation. Where could people find you online? So before we were talking about, you know, like how to get ChatGPT to speed things up for you, basically clone yourself. I came up with a way to really streamline the process. Maybe you look into Facebook ads or just write quicker emails. It's called the 4-Hour GPT Cash Campaign. It's free. All you got to do is go over to julesdan.com forward slash GPT gift. And it's if you're just putting your name, email, or send it across to you. And that's the best way to find me. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey. And I'll see you in the next episode.